Hey, Potential Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in once again to the Potential Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to take a moment and talk to you about something that means a lot to us. This podcast was created to be a source of fun and entertainment, and although we love to nerd out with you, one thing we do take serious is mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com Potential. That's BetterHelp.com Potential. Take charge of your mental health with better help. And remember, know your potential. Hey, potential podcast listeners. Let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician, and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being, and let's get checked. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum, this is The Potential Podcast. Welcome back to The Potential Podcast. Here we are. It is now the end of September, which means October is around the corner. You know what that means, Taylor? It really is Halloween season. Oh, sorry. That too. Well, actually, no, it's so funny. Pumpkin Spice Lattes came back on my birthday this year. It was the earliest I think it's ever happened, August 24th. I think eventually there's going to get to a point where it's going to be July. (laughs) They're going to be like, 
people want them earlier. They need them. It's June. I mean, that was the whole thing with Christmas. It used to be like, oh my God, it's October and I'm already seeing Christmas stuff. And now Halloween stuff is coming out. Yeah, like end of July, it's going to be. And then 4th of July stuff's going to start coming out in February. It's just, we're just bringing it back. And it's like Christmas in July. No, it's uh, July. It's Christmas. So um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But uh, it's crazy. Oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't introduce ourselves. <laughs> who are you? Who am I? Oh, I'm Taylor Sokol. Fitting, fitting, for this, uh, fitting for this episode. So yeah. If you're a first-time listener of our podcast, well, hello, I am Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by my co-host and uh, comedic, brilliant friend, Taylor Sokol. I paid him $20 to say that, <laughs> the brilliant part. And it was worth every penny. Um, no, but uh, here we are, yeah, so, uh, you know, Taylor, you and I, we do really love comedy. We I are would, big comedy I would say buffs. obsessed. That's probably one of our, our bread and butter. From, you know, television shows, movies, uh, certain actors that we absolutely adore, uh, comedic podcasts. I mean, even when we play video games that have uh, comedic dialogue, books, I mean, the works. We love to laugh and we love comedy. And we love following people that have been, you know, stellar in comedy. And today, who we're talking about, well, could be defined as the king of comedy. Hey, it's good to be the king. Today, we're going to talk about the legendary, one and only, Mel Brooks. His mind, his brand of comedy, his style, and of course, his films. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. He's also worked uh, heavily in TV, and he has, of course, done these comedy albums, and he's just done a lot. But he has these 11 films that he wrote and directed, and you know, it's something that it's amazing to think that he hasn't done anything in a long time in terms of like a full feature film um he's kind of enjoyed just being himself i mean the man worked hard for a long time so i guess he's enjoying a, a nice retirement while still popping into things there and there so taylor you know i think it's hard for me to kind of remember but you know, what was the first mel brooks movie you can you think you might have remembered seeing i think just because i was a huge Star Wars fan growing up as a kid. I think naturally my first, you know, looking into what part of like media and stuff have been influenced by Star Wars would have been Spaceballs. Just because I think it was um, by then it had, you know, come into like it came out, you know, in the 80s. And then, you know, in the mid to late 90s, it would be uh, on TV and, and had its, you know, showings there. I think that's what came on. And I remember just seeing like, what is this? And I just kind of really grew to it because having really appreciated, understood what Star Wars was and other, you know, films, it was just such a funny take. Um, and I could really appreciate and get the jokes. And I think that's what kind of maybe was one of the first um examples of parodies that I really, really enjoyed and appreciated. So I think it would have been Spaceballs. What about you? I want to say Young Frankenstein is probably the first one I saw, um, only because I'm sure we had it at some point on VHS, and especially around the Halloween season, at some point, I feel like we would have put it on. And even though at that point in life, I don't think I'd even seen the original Frankenstein, I think, you know, from pop culture and going to places like Universal Studios and like, you know, you, you get the basis story of what Frankenstein is, uh, you know, being, and actually the story is that it's Dr. Frankenstein and that it's his creature. But of course, a lot of people always confuse that Frankenstein is actually the name of the monster. But Young Frankenstein, I think was probably my first one. And, 
you know, the black and white already is a, a fun take because it's very much a, a love of the, you know, original source material of all those original Universal movies, which, by the way, if you're looking for a little throwback, we did a great episode on that last year in season one, so go check it out. But uh, yeah, that, and I think that was the first time maybe I would put the pieces together, starting to see the other films that he would, you know, come out with that very much what his films were tackling were parodies of genres. Yeah. So he would pick a genre or style of film and then he would go and do a very similar plot for that type of film, but then add in all of the Mel Brooks-isms of the parody style, jokes, uh, you know, random bits, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that was a very, you know, something that I don't think we would have seen again until something like, you know, like Mike Myers when doing Austin Powers, you know, like referential humor. I feel this was, uh, Mel Brooks was a huge influence on that style and even stuff that would come out in like, you know, getting into like SNL and Mad TV and, you know, where people would parody movies and TV shows. I think this is, you know, he's one of the first ones to kind of set that bar of, you know, taking, you know, sometimes serious material and then just doing the complete opposite of it, you know, making it very silly. So I guess what we should do, Taylor, here is we'll kind of go in order. Um, now, some of these we've actually never seen. Uh, it's hard to say that we can't, you know, we claim to be very uh, big Mel Brooks fans, but we haven't seen all of them. We've seen a lot of them, though. We've seen most of them. Um, there's actually only a few that I, I, I think I've seen bits of, but I uh, just never got around to. But we got to start, of course, with the producers. So the producers, his directorial debut, 1967, uh, one of the funniest comedy, you know, concepts of all time, Broadway producer, his accountant, figuring out that they could make more money with a flop than they could with a hit. And then scheming to find the worst play, the worst director, the worst actors, raise this money from all these old ladies, and then try to put on this flop so that they can take their $2 million and go to Rio all to have it fail because it actually becomes a set, you know, becomes a big hit. And then they're, you know, they're, they go to jail and then they end up producing um, in jail. I think you could tell that this was a film that was going to, you know, he had done TV shows, you know, uh, get smart notably was one of his big ones. And he had uh, these comedy albums, but as this is like a first big go of, you know, he had, he had written new faces in 1954 um, but, you know, that was just a writing credit uh, for film. This being his first movie, you could tell this man was set to do some really funny stuff with parody. And this is definitely the, the musical theater uh, uh, Broadway parody. Um, but you and I, not the most, uh, you know, knowledgeable of the OG film. So we're actually doing a past potential pick this week. Yes, so stay tuned later this week for a review of the original. But I think the one that you and I heavily know is, of course, this would influence a Broadway musical. In 2001, Mel Brooks would actually have his first Broadway musical of the producers, an adaptation, and then eventually in 2005, we actually had a, a film version. So the musical to me is brilliant, is one of the best musicals of all time. It is still the highest Tony Award winning musical at 12 Tony Awards. So it almost swept all the awards it was nominated for. 
um, Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, of course, starring as uh, Bialystok and Bloom. And I've gotten to be a part of this musical. I think it's just so much fun and it's hilarious. And especially, you know, there's already a few songs in the original movie, most notably Springtime for Hitler. But uh, all the songs that Mel Brooks came up with, you could tell that he was able to adapt to Broadway very easily. That's something that he just does. He has that old kind of Hollywood style. But He had, um, he had a knack for what, um, what a musical should be. And I think going to what you say in kind of his old school style of, you know, for, you know, starting out and going off and doing his own, directing his own films, he had a, a kind of a knack with the filming style and everything to be like very close up, you know, moments and intense scenes where it would be like very similar to a stage adaptation. So I think he really had an idea and a knack for what would make a successful, you know, song or so the fact that it was such a great, almost seamless transition to make that into a full on musical is just a testament to his talents. And probably one of the first, I'm trying to think, you know, 2001 at that point, there hadn't been a lot of movies turned into musicals at that point that I can, you know, think off the top of my head. And now that's like the big trend on Broadway. I would we... say that was the turning point of 2000. They would start, they would start coming out like Hairspray, Phantom of the Opera, uh, things like that. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't remember in the 90s a lot of that happening. Um, so I think that he kind of, again, uh, a pioneer in that, if you will, I think that was, you know, pretty exciting stuff that he was able to do that. Yeah. And, and the, you know, we had the musical film that came out in 2005, again, starring uh, a lot of the original cast. And then, um, you know, Will Ferrell was joined in there, Uma Thurman. And I think it's a great, uh, you know, film version of the musical. They had to leave out the King of Broadway because they wanted a PG-13 release and they didn't want to say the F word. But um, I think they did a great job of kind of honoring the movie musical genre with that. And a lot of people, you know, sometimes when you do a movie musical on film, it's, you know, on Broadway, they play to the back of the house. And especially Nathan Lane, you know, just like Zero Mostel in the original, Nathan Lane, a tour de force. He is hilarious. That is like, you know, one of his best roles he's ever done. But it's a lot of over the top, you know, hamming up. And some of it for some people might feel like it's too, you know, over the top, but I think it's just brilliant. And and so I think again, for as we've discussed before, when people don't get a chance to go see a Broadway musical, they don't get a chance to see the tour or production anywhere, you get the movie at least to get to experience that. So I'm happy that the movie musical does exist. Now, the next film by Mel Brooks is one. I've never seen, I don't think you've seen it either, Taylor, but I have heard that it's a, a, a fun one. The 12 Chairs, which is one of the many film adaptations of the Russian 1928 novel, The 12 Chairs, by Ilf Impetrov. And this one is, you know, I think something that you could talk about a little bit with looking at the producers and obviously Mel Brooks having uh zero worry of poking fun at nazis and hitler i think he he was bold in that way and i think 12 chairs goes on to talk more about the soviet union in the 1920s and this is also a, a film where we would start to see um you know as as we'll see in the in the future 
reuse of actors in his films. Uh, and of course, then we're going to see Mel Brooks starting to uh, star in his own films and have these uh, uh, sometimes bigger roles and some of these little cameos where it's kind of like something you would look forward to, almost similar to what, you know, uh, Stan Lee would do eventually in the MCU uh, and all his movies. <laughs> so it's kind of always funny. It's like, wait, when when's Mel Brooks going to start up? And this was like, and even just the cover, <laughs> the cover art is just great. Just Mel Brooks just hammered it up right there in that scene. And he kind of showed again his acting chops, not only uh, in front and behind the camera. Makes me think of um, you just saying that about Stan Lee. I wish Mel Brooks would have done a you know a parody movie of Marvel by now. That would have been, oh, or, or superhero in general. So, like a oh. super, this is, you know, it could be Marvel, DC, everything, you know, just, you know, that makes really funny. But um, looking at some of the cast members in this, 12 Chairs, Ron Moody, who I know, um, you know, most famously for playing Fagin and Oliver, uh, original on Broadway, and then he did the film. Uh, but you have a young Frank Langella in this, um, Dom DeLuise, who will <laughs> definitely be a constant in Mel Brooks films. And then our Andreas Lustinas, who of course was, Carmen Gia is back in this. So you start to see that trend of reusing characters, but can't go on to really talk more about that because we haven't seen it. But what we can talk about is the next film that he would come out with, which is in 1974, big year for him. He had two films come out. The next film is a film that a lot of people, if they don't understand what was it was meant to, you know, what's the intention a lot of people just think that this film, very similar to some films we've had lately that try to tackle this type of material, um, they may not get and they might find it offensive. But this was actually a film that he wrote specifically as a way to battle racism, to show, uh, you know, the wrongs of racism. We have the brilliant Blazing Saddles, a film that you could not do today, unfortunately, but glad that we got this in 1974 this parody of Western movies. And this one is just, it's one of my all-time faves. Has some great, great moments in it. And again, one where it starts off in one way and then it ends in a completely different direction that no one ever saw coming. And also one of the one of these, again, you'll see a trend in his movies where he breaks the fourth wall. Uh, and kind of one of, I think, Again, a, a pioneer in doing this. You think about going back to uh, superhero movies, think about like Deadpool and, and other films like that. But it was just like literally not just break the fourth wall, but literally break through a wall and <laughs> end up uh, on a soundstage, <laughs> which is just great. Break to the, uh, of course, this is the film that uh, the, the base plot is that this small town um, is getting a new sheriff and it is a black sheriff. And the town is very racist, Rock Ridge. And them having you uh, accept this new sheriff. And then we have a whole plot with um, the first film that Mel Brooks would have Harvey Corman, the brilliant Harvey Corman, and Madeline Kahn in here. Um, Harvey Corman kind of being this character that is trying to work with the governor, played by Mel Brooks, one one of two characters he plays in Blazing Saddles, um, trying to do this whole deal with the train and taking money. And, you know, he's the, the typical Western uh, villain who's trying to, you know, snide his way into some yeah. funds and doesn't care about Scheming and all that. Um, but this is such a, a great film. Cleavon Little as Bart, um, our, our sheriff, just a charm. Like he just looks like a movie star out of time. Like this was a, a great role for him. And of course, because of the material, I think he really had this sense of fun and play 
with this uh, movie. And this is now a second film for Gene Wilder um, as Jim. And of course, playing on the whole, like, you know, the Waco kid and like, um, uh, when he, you know, one part he's like, you see that? Steady as a rock. And then he shows his other hand, start shaking. He's like, that's my shooting hand. You know, it's like, the, he's like the gun slinging, you know, partner there. Um, but a lot of fun, great big characters. And I think really that, whole era the 60s 70s even 50s below you know before that westerns was the thing that was the big genre for a long time so there was a lot of material to pull from and i think unlike the producers and not knowing 12 chairs so much this was the first time Mel Brooks really gets to play with parodying multiple movies and tv shows in one big movie exactly so he's kind of pulling from all different kind of stuff and um you know, I think a, another good testament talking about how he would, you know, use this as a statement, you know, against and battling racism that, you know, the film was written by Brooks and Andrew Bergman and, and Steinberg and, and a lot of writers, but notably Richard Pryor. And I think that was very smart because not only you have one of the most iconic uh, comedians of this time and during his like, you know, stardom, but you have, you know, a African-American comedian who can give. Uh, proper perspective to the treatments and I think that was smart where I think we'll see even today unfortunately and it's gotten better but a lot of directors um, maybe are not suitable for this material but then they're smart enough to have people uh, who the material might would, would could offend and doing it in a proper way that uh, is battling against but it, it's dealt in a very sensitive way and I think there is you know a lot of fun to be had with this film and uh uh, I was very glad that I was able to see it. And then, of course, it would, uh, you know, as of 2006, was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and preserved for the National Film Registry. So just a testament to, you know, number six ranked in AFI's 100 Years of 100 Laughs and was uh, nominated for three Academy Awards at its time. Yeah, didn't win any of them, but it did win the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Comedy Written Directly for the Screen. Uh, for all the writers there so um yeah one that i think nowadays if people attempted it would not work as well but it it's one that i think it it's got a lot of goofy gags in it and it it, it really handles that sensitive material in a great way where like you really do get a sense of how heroic our bart is and you know evil is vanquished and then the, the whole twist ending of this whole thing is a film essentially and them going to this these Hollywood back lots and again where we'll see little pop-ups of cameos like Dom DeLuise um, as Buddy Bazaar so of course a, a take on you know these uh, flamboyant directors and he's trying to direct all these very flamboyant dancers and then they all of a sudden get you know the wall breaks and then he's like what the hell's going on so such so just hilarious and then uh, uh, once again, this cafeteria scene where, you know, our, our villainous characters trying to escape and you see a bunch of people, you know, from different film sets and another Hitler moment. Uh, I think just, you know, a little, the little plain fun of, you know, where Mel Brooks gets to really show some of that humor of, oh, what if we do this and like completely, you know, break the fourth wall in the end. Um, and uh, yeah, it just holds out to be one of the best comedies of all time. And to think that in the same year, uh, not to outdo himself, that he would have one of another brilliant comedy that for fans of the old Universal monster movies and that of Frankenstein, to have a young Frankenstein 
which was written by Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks and directed by Mel Brooks himself. This movie is a love letter to all those old Halloween, you know, monster movies. And this one just really plays up the parody elements of it's a whole black and white film. And a lot of it is, I, I still think it's like a very good honor of the material. And it just pokes fun at the little moments of all these characters. And it's still a Frankenstein movie throughout. Like it still has the exact plot of, yes, you know, it's it's now the grandson of Victor, you know, of, of Frankenstein. And so and his grandson being this scientist, he's like, no, my grandfather's work was doo-doo. And he's like, my name is not Frankenstein, it's Frankenstein. Like, you know, just how much he plays up not wanting to live up to his grandfather's, you know, work and then eventually getting sucked into the world and actually then creating a, a, a monster with, um, you know, Igor's grandson, Igor. And it's it just like so, so funny. And Gene Wilder, now his third film with Mel Brooks, again, a huge staple. This, I think, is one of his best roles of all time. Um, I think he handles that leading character very well. And he has that that grace and charm and he has that wittiness about him he's very smart in this film and to see him you know slowly go mad in the film i think was a really fun take and one of those just iconic views of when i when you thought of young frankenstein just because he had that hair that he could just do that hair hair. i know and it's like like he just this i think again i think all these films but maybe gene wilder and eventually we'll probably have an episode just on gene um oh, yeah. you know but just this it has such a great blend of the quiet the smart comedy the wittiness and then you get so, and we'll talk about this in a second but just the, the 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 mania of what he can do it's just probably one of the best films showing gene wilder's range i i think yeah i think it was a brilliant performance and also getting him to write and you know i, I read a lot about how this was somewhat of a difficult shoot uh, between Mel and Gene. They would fight a lot of trying to get the best material. Um, but I think it was all worth it in the end because it's uh, just a brilliant film. Um, we get Marty Feldman in here. It's his first film with Mel as <laughs> it's pronounced Igor, not Igor, <laughs> you know, um, and a great comedic actor who really is a just like a he's like a firework on the screen and so funny um and we get peter boyle who uh, was no stranger to comedy and for many many years uh made us laugh as frank on everybody loves raymond um he plays the monster in this i love the way he he does so much with just the physicality and his voice without actually speaking and a lot of that like almost like a puppy dog, uh, you know, trying to understand um, life. Um, Cloris Leachman, another great comedian who, along with Kenneth Mars, we would see later on Malcolm in the Middle. Um, Frau Blucher, and a hilarious bit in this whole film of every time they say that name, the horse's whine, it's because Frau Blucher actually translates to horse glue or something like that. Uh. Like that was a that was a joke that, you know, it does sound like a very German name, and then every time they say that the horses, of course, go whine. But as I mentioned earlier, Kenneth Mars back, Inspector Kemp, and he has that funny mechanical arm that's always going off. Madeline Kahn, Terry Garr. Um, and then one of the greatest cameo roles of all time. And I think of an actor who, for the most part, minus his time in 
Superman and then later, um, you know, with Wes Anderson films, a very serious actor that I would, you know, think couldn't do a lot of great comedy. Gene Hackman as the blind man, the blind, you know, uh, Harold who takes him in. And that's a, that's actually a, a scene straight from the book mm-hmm, of exactly. this blind kind of hermit who takes in the monster and, you know, tries to help him. And then actually in the book, the monster then kills the man, but what a hilarious scene where he's trying to, he's trying to give him, you know, something to eat some soup and he keeps missing him. Yeah. <laughs> and then the candle with the, you know, how about cigars? And then he lights his thumb instead. Um, oh, just, it's such a funny like parody scene. And then of course the great line, where are you going? I was going to make espresso. <laughs> like to think who would have espresso in this time era. I mean, like what a great, great scene. Just so many great moments in this film. And, Again, I really love how detailed they were with the black and white and sticking to the like creepy castle. You know? Yeah, it's such a great ode to that style. You talked about the Universal Monster movies of the, the 1930s. And uh, also, of course, going to his amazing roots when we get that putting on the Ritz musical number is just oh, so yeah. great. It's just so random. It's like, oh, I'm going to prove, uh, show you my creation. Of course, <laughs> what better way to present than have a musical number? And it's just such a... A great thing. And then Peter Boyle, though, to think of what, you know, more modern audiences would know as uh, him as, you know, the the dad and everybody loves Raymond, that he would go on to kind of be that iconic, you know, the old kind of curmudgeon. So just showing the <laughs> what um, some of those earlier beginnings, just just wow. And I was really, um, really glad I went back and watched this movie uh, for the first time several years ago. Yeah, it's one that I'll always love. And this is the time of the year where really um, I love popping in, and so I'm sure I'll watch it again sometime in the next few weeks as we get into October. Now, to finish off our first half here, uh, the next two are two films that I, I've seen bits of, but I've never seen the entirety. We have Silent Movie, 1976, and then High Anxiety, 1977. Silent Movie is actually a completely silent film, and it is meant to be a parody of you know the 20th century silent film era. And there's moments where, you know, there's inserts of, you know, the written dialogue as they would do. And again, a film where we're going to see a lot of characters come back that have been previous cast members. Uh, Mel Brooks himself, of course, starring. But we have Dom DeLuise, Marty Feldman back. Um, First movie was Sid Caesar, who uh, a comedy legend himself. And then you have a couple like actors in here that are like, you know, playing themselves. Burt Reynolds, James Caan, Liza Minnelli. And Bancroft, etc., Paul Newman. Um, and so it's like trying to satirize the film industry. So it's a movie producer and he's trying to obtain studio support to make a silent film in the 70s. So the whole film is a silent film about trying to make a silent film. A, you know, a concept that I don't think anyone would ever think of. And it's entirely that's how the film actually plays out. There's no dialogue in it. Except except one bit, which is uh which is the parrot, the ironic part of it. The only line of dialogue that's put in there is by Marcel Marceau, who was a mime. Uh, so I think that, that again, to the comedy of it. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just such an out-of-the-box like thing. for, And it was a great tr- juxtaposition of, okay, you know, we went to the kind of all these other, like, let's do something. Again, this is not something that you would think, like, okay, now in the 70s where technology and all these uh, you know, after this is like right around, you know, the time that, you know, Star Wars about to come out. So this is kind of the turn of when more special effects are going. It's like, 
Melbourne's like, no, it's kind of like just something that they're not going to expect. And of course, you know, talking about all these great, um, you know, actors who are playing themselves and actresses, of course, this would, uh, we'd have Anne Bancroft, who would be later on his actual, uh, his second wife until her entire passing. So, and what a, an amazing actress as well. But yeah, I, I wanted, this is actually one of my days of trivia hosting. This was a trivia question I had about Marcel So That's why I know it, fun fact. So I would like to actually go and watch, I think we should definitely push ourselves to go watch uh, this uh, among the other ones we haven't seen. The next High Anxiety, I've seen a couple scenes from it, but Again, a great uh, genre to parody. Taking a crack at the uh, Alfred Hitchcock genre of all of his, you know, mystery and eerie movies. Um, and so High Anxiety, of course, kind of a take a joke at uh, Vertigo. Um, and this, again, would see a lot of cast back. Uh, Mel Brooks, of course, and then Madeline Kahn back, Cloris Leachman, Harvey Corman. Um, this is the first film we get Dick Van Patten, who will come back in a few films. Um, this is one, yeah, I've never seen the entire film. This one didn't do as well as some of the others, but I think it's a, a funny, like, genre to pick from because, of course, Alfred Hitchcock, ton of films to parody. And this is, of course, the era where a lot of his films are, are huge hits, uh, 60s and 70s. So I, I think this would be one that we should check out as well just because of the brand you know especially around maybe this time because you know i would think of alfred hitchcock kind of more of a, a genre i would you know want to watch this time of year uh especially thinking you know like the birds psycho especially um but rear window yeah oh yeah rear window Oof. with you know our great legendary actor there yeah stewart give me stewart i see uh my leg's broken but i'm gonna spy on you <laughs> what do you want the moon Mary? oh what's happening in the window over there <laughs> um but uh yeah, so I think at that point, and you know, I, a lot of his films, they're not long, but just to think of the span of, you know, from 1967 through 77, so in the span of 10 years, that's six films, which for some directors never make that many in that span of time. You no, know, and then so. of course, it's like, okay, four or five years, and, you know, we we would see that throughout this time period that they would take a long time. So he was really churning and burning films, you know, left and right. I mean, definitely was not slowing down. And, and this is his middle age that he's, you know, cracking away at these films. It wasn't like he was a young whippersnapper of a director this time. Yeah. He wasn't a young pup at 25. He was, you know, yeah. Like Spielberg with his, uh, you know, uh, uh, jaws. Uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. At this point he was, you know, Let's see, 26. Just, yeah, he was already 50. So, you know what, Taylor, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the other half of his great films. Get ready for the never-before-seen collection of Mel Brooks sequels even he didn't know were being made. We go to Mr. Brooks now for a comment. Mr. Brooks, Mr. Brooks, Reese with the Daily Shorts. Uh, what do you think of these newly discovered sequels to your classic comedies? I never made any sequels. Hilarious. That Mel never disappoints. Let's take a sneak peek at this fantastic collection. The Associate Producers. Listen, Leo. Over there is Hoffman and Katz. They are our new Associate Producers. Associate Producers? Oh, what do they do, Max? Nobody knows. And you know what? Nobody cares. The 13th Chair. Wait a minute. Where did this chair come from? Blazing Saddles 2, Hetty's Revenge. That's 
Headley. Headley Lamar. They can't even get my name right in the title. Old Frankenstein. Are you ready, Igor? Big day tomorrow. I know! Finally going to get this old thing lopped off. Well, it takes a great deal of precision, but sure. Wednesdays will never be the same. Why is that? Hump day. Silent Movie 3. What happened to 2? I can't even hear the subtitles. Higher anxiety. Look, there's, uh, there's someone in the window. Oh, wait, that's, uh, that's just me. It's my reflection. <laughs> it's a mirror. History of the World Part 2. Four score and six. Oh, wait. Eight. No, three. Ah, damn it. How many years ago? Spaceballs 2. The search for more money. Spaceballs the video game. Spaceballs the clock radio. And my new favorite, Spaceballs the Lego set. They made me a Lego. Adorable. Life still stinks. What was this movie again about? I don't think we can parody this one. Fair enough. Moving on. Robin Hood. Women in leggings. Blinken, do you see those maidens over there? What on earth are they wearing? Those look tighter than our tights. I'm still blind, sire. Oh, yes. Sorry. And finally, Dracula. Undead and hating it. Thank you, Master, for deciding to become my roommate. This apartment was quite pricey, and I needed someone to help pay the rent. Please, help yourself to any flies you would like. Wonderful. Just wonderful. Act now, and you get these never-before-seen sequels for the small price of $89.99. So call today and get ready to laugh as only Mel Brooks doesn't know he can. It's been over 25 years since Mel Brooks' last film. And what better way to make a comeback to the director's chair than with a movie of epically super-duper proportions? Some men aren't looking for something logical. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Some men are just looking for a dance partner. Care to tango? Intelligence is a privilege, young man. It needs to be used for the good of mankind. Speaking of intelligence, can you help me study for this algebra test? Oh, brother. I can do this. All day. Oh, well, I can't. Yeesh, I'm so out of shape. I'm out. Would you like a cheese puff? Epic misunderstandings and statements. We. Are. Groot. Groot? What is that, Yiddish? Lessons that will last a lifetime, or take a minute to understand. Remember, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. And with a great physique comes a great gym membership. Man, look at these glutes! Moments that will define a hero, separating the mighty and the meek. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Well, actually, I choose life. Mel Brooks, super duper hero, men who wear capes. Coming summer 2022. So we're back talking about Mel Brooks and his legendary films and his brand of comedy. Well, the next film that he would make, 1981's History of the World Part One. 
And that is exactly the title. I love that it's actually <laughs> notified as part one, even though, yes, we never have actually got part two. This was uh, a film where he would take a crack at, instead of doing a parody of films, you know, a genre, he did a parody of history, uh, starting from the dawn of man leading up through the French Revolution. So there's different chapters of this film, and it is hilarious. This is actually one of my all-time favorite Mel Brooks films. I think I've seen this one probably the most up there with Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. And I think it was a, a great way where he got to use a lot of his, um, you know, his, his all-time favorite actors, a couple new ones, um, but it's like, yeah, there's six, there's six periods of this film. So you have the Stone Age. This is like, you know, Dawn of Man. And then we have the Old Testament, the Roman Empire, the Spanish Inquisition, ending with the French Revolution. And then there actually is like a preview of History Little Part Two, which we never got. Um, but now, Taylor, you've not seen this in its entirety. Have you seen a good amount of it? I believe right? I would say a very little amount of it, probably an eighth of the film. I just know it's good to be the king. Uh, <laughs> I've seen that scene a couple of times. So this would be definitely one for me to kind of rewatch. And I think just this is, again, just another brilliance of his uh, comedy and the fact that the name of it, you know, is part one. There was never another one. But it's kind of a play on uh, Sir Walter Raleigh, who, who you know, wrote, a, you know, a play, History of the World, volume one. Uh, and then he didn't get to do the next one because he was beheaded, unfortunately. So uh, thankfully, Mel Brooks was not beheaded. Uh, fun fact. Um, but I think it's just great because even at the end of the film and some of these films, you would see that he would jokingly. Uh, this is before, you know, end scenes that we would see more and more of uh, coming into the 90s of, you know, superhero films and alike. And with the MCU, obviously, it's something audiences come to expect, like stay for the credits, which you should because you should see the key grip and what he did. Um, but um, I think it was just kind of funny that at the end he does kind of have this like coming attractions part two. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I would read about like I remember seeing the end scene like Hitler on ice and stuff like yeah, that. Hitler on ice. There's yeah. Jews in space. Yeah. Kind of a, a take at Star Wars and. Um, there was a Viking funeral and I love that it's a bit where there's the funeral pyres going on and then the Vikings take off their helmets, but they actually have horns. So the <laughs> horns are actually there on their heads. Um, this is sort of one, like, I, you know, I think of films coming up where, you know, certain actors would play multiple roles and even thinking of the comedy of Monty Python where they will. Which we did talk about this while back. Yeah. Mel Brooks, although typically only played one character in the film, minus Blazing Saddles, where he also did the kind of cameo bit as the Indian chief this he gets to play quite a lot of characters he plays Moses he plays Comicus Torquemada Jacques and King Louis and in the French Revolution it's very much the prince and the pauper style where he's playing the king but also there's the piss boy who looks exactly the same so they tried to do the whole let's swap him out for the king you know it's the whole French Revolution but Comicus I thought this is a brilliant thing that they did with the Roman empire which is a huge chunk of the movie and we get the legendary the late great gregory hines as josephus who gets to actually show off a little bit of his tap skill and another just great charming actor who gets to play a lot of the comedy they do a whole thing with comicus where he's going to the emperor who's played by dom deluise emperor nero and his thing is that he's a stand-up philosopher so right there you know it's like occupation stand-up philosopher 
And um, at one point he's in the unemployment line and it's actually B. Arthur as a cameo. She's the one handing out unemployment money. And he's like, I'm a stand-up philosopher. So his whole thing is that instead of stand-up comedian in this day and age where, of course, we always think about the, the Roman era and Greek era, you know, these philosophers, he's a stand-up philosopher, just a, a brilliant bit. But uh, Madeline Kahn's back as um, Nero's wife. And then later we get Cloris Leachman, Harvey Corman back in the French Revolution. We have the brilliant musical number, the Spanish Inquisition. The Inquisition, what a show, the Inquisition, you know. And even they think of like someone like Orson Welles agreed to be the narrator for this. Uh, distinguished Orson Welles. Um, um, and you have Sid Caesar. He gets to do a, a bit in the caveman scene. So there's quite a, a lot of great actors. And I love um, Comicus. Yeah, at one point they they move to another area and this is where they get the a whole scene where it's um, it's Jesus and having the last supper. And he's the, he's, he's the waiter. <laughs> he ends up becoming the waiter for the, you know, so he's trying to take orders for the last supper. And of course it's, you know, a lot of people. And then at one point you see the guy, it's actually, you know, Da Vinci, he's painting the uh, last supper. And then the whole bit is how it ends is he's holding up the tray behind Jesus. And that's what makes the shiny glow around his head. You know, <laughs> oh, just like man. funny bits like that. I'm excited to go back and watch. This oh, now. yeah. Jeez. And, you know, a, a bit we actually didn't talk about in uh, Blazing Saddles is um, mispronouncing the name. So Harvey Corman, you know, in this he's he's Count de Monet, but everyone keeps saying Count de Money, Count de Money. He's like, it's Count de Monet. And back in Blazing Saddles, it's um, Hedley, Hedley Lamar. And people, you know, Hedy, they keep saying Hedy Lamar. And he's like, it's Hedley, Hedley Lamar. So I love that he's, it's a very similar character to his one in Blazing Saddles. But um, this over pompous, you know, and he's like, piss boy, come here, piss boy. And, yeah. you know, Mel Brooks comes over and he's, you know, he has this bucket for these royal people to pee in. And then he takes his tip money. And Harvey Corman just throws it into the bucket. And he's like, there's your tip. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh my gosh. And yes, the famous line of it's good to be the king. There's this ridiculous scene where they're playing essentially uh, live action chess. And then uh, very much in the king, it's like, you know, let's all attack the queen. And, you know, as, you know, kind of, as, you know, assuming some kind of like orgy situation. Um, and he's like, it's good to be the king. And, you know, it just goes around and kisses anyone he wants and just very pompous and very full of himself. But I think it's just, it's a really fun movie. And I think it was a great way to, to play off these, you know, some of these really big moments in history that were defining moments of human civilization and technology and how we advance things and just the parody moments that he could play into that. And him getting to play a lot of characters, I think Mel Brooks really got to show a lot of his not only acting chops, but his comedic chops with various characters in this one film. So it's one I always, I always love. And you, I think you'll, you'll love it. So I think so. Well, the bits I saw of it and, and how you described it for sure. So, but uh, now going on to films that uh, we've definitely have both seen. And I think this is going into closer to when, you know, our youth of the original films that we saw. And when I mentioned earlier, of course we would get yeah, a few years later, we would get space balls. Uh, and this was uh, several years uh, later, but then again, uh, the, I think the production value is, you know, obviously a little different. And this is uh, Mel Brooks' take on the space opera, most notably, obviously, Star Wars. But it's a great parody of, like, 
all the all the great sci-fi of Star Star Trek, Trek. Alien, Alien. Uh, two thousand one Space Odyssey, Planet of the Apes, and a, a little bit of Wizard of Oz as well. So <laughs> this this movie it gets funnier and funnier every time I see it. It's just one of those films like I I think just because it's being such huge fans of Star Wars and kind of the space genre, uh, this definitely is just is just kind of really great. And this would you know feature a lot, obviously returning. Uh, you know characters and actors but get a lot of fresh fresher faces for this one uh and uh you know also one of the great films of john candy uh that he would go on to as as barf uh parodying uh chewbacca uh which is great yeah bill pullman in here as lone star so kind of taking a fun bit at you know han solo and yeah john candy what a great team they are and then you have Daphne Zuniga as Princess Vespa. Um, you know, funny, she doesn't look Druish. Uh, she's yeah. a base, uh, kind of being the Princess Leia character. And we have Joan Rivers as the voice of Dot Matrix, who is our kind of female C-3PO. But then you have the <laughs> the brilliant uh, evil team uh, led by Rick Moranis as Dark Helmet. Of course, a parody of Darth Vader. There's this huge, giant helmet he's wearing. And I love he's got like the little tie that kind of looks like a, a, a penis. And just like him still wearing the glasses, you know, the very classic Rick Moranis look of <laughs> this nerdy guy. And how, you know, before this movie, before seeing Spaceballs, I'm sure I had seen plenty of him in like the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids series, you know, with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. And knowing him more is that, you know, even Ghostbusters, this really nerdy guy. So him really playing up this villainous character of Dark Helmet is one of his all-time great performances. He's such a, like, it's hilarious, but also he's so, he's so trying to be menacing, but he's just not because <laughs> he's so short and he's trying to do this deep voice and all the jokes of Darth Vader, you know, like, him sipping coffee and it's too hot. And, um, you know, he keeps, uh, unlike Darth Vader, he can put up this, you know, his face shield in a way. Of, so he, he's like, I can't breathe in this thing. <laughs> like, yeah, it's oh, uh, so and funny. just the fact that, you know, he's so intimidating, but he's just kind of like little, little kid and he's just kind of whiny all the time. And, uh, uh, <laughs> just, and then just some of, some of the, this, the, some of the more notable things I just love, like, uh, a lot of the takes of Star Wars were like, we got to go comb the desert and like literally comb in the desert. And you got, you know, like, we haven't found, found anything. Nope. You found anything? Nope. nope. And there's nope. The two black guys with a pick. Yeah. You found anything? We, we ain't seen shit. Shit. <laughs> and then, like, the kind of the Grand Moff Tarkin, like Colonel Sanders, uh, like, what's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken. And, and the idea, like, we can't go hyperspeed. We've got to go ludicrous speed in that whole scene. Uh, and I like when they're like, oh, how are we going to figure out what we're doing? And then they have the, the tape of Spaceballs that they're watching the movie. This is us now. When will it be then? <laughs> you know, this, and it, like, that's like, again, some of the callbacks to earlier comedy, like the who's on first kind of scene. And again, we get Mel Brooks playing two characters here. Of course, kind of the emperor character of President Scrooge, uh, who's just... <laughs> It's kind of just this really idiot. And of course, Scroob is just Brooks backwards, which is a great anagram. And uh, him playing yogurt uh, as the Yoda and the Schwartz. It's and the very, very, yeah, the very overly kind of Jewish sounding yogurt. And of course, he's all about merchandise. 
Um, <laughs> merchandise, merchandise. Yeah. You know, space balls. Be with you. <laughs> space balls. Space balls. The flamethrower. The kids love that one. And my favorite, space balls. The doll. Adorable. Yeah. Um, and you have yeah, Dom DeLuise is a bit cameo as Pizza the Hut, who's just this <laughs> disgusting giant blob of pepperoni and cheese, and and then eventually like Pizza the Hut ate himself to death. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, needs money from our Han Solo like character Lone Star, and then probably this is one where I really think um, a rare thing where an actor would actually agree to do this, and it's the it's probably for me one of the funniest scenes of the movie just because of how ridiculous it is. And it's such a Mel Brooks, just staple. We got John Hurt back to do a cameo appearance to parody his death in Alien. They're in the cafe at one point, this space cafe, this, you know, kind of out in the reaches of space. And there's a couple actors that are cast to look very similar to the crew of Alien. And then, you know, they're like, oh, we have the soup and we have the special. And... <laughs> Uh, we have uh, Lone Star and Bar for sitting there, and they're trying to figure out what to order. And then, of course, John Seems Hurt like, yeah. starts Seems to have, you know, same. as Kane, and uh, just the alien pops out in the brilliant, oh, not again, and then he <laughs> dies. And then just seeing this little alien all of a sudden get a spotlight, and he puts a little top hat on and a cane, and then, hello, Bahani, hello, Bahani. I know, he does the, 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 the frog of Warner Brothers. Yeah. Just... And then everyone's like, Taking their, taking their plates back and then it just like escapes and then they're like check please yeah oh my gosh one of the funniest scenes and i love the 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 black guy when he's starting to like rhythm and he's like oh god and they're like what do we need and he's like he's like get this man some pepto bismol yeah. <laughs> like the fact that like that scene exists is i think like if there's like a top 10 all greatest scenes Mel Brooks ever directed and happened, that is one of the best of this well, film. Well, just a great parody within a parody within a parody at the inception of comedy, if you would say, if you will. And the thing with, with Spaceballs is it, it, it's surprising that, and we'll kind of get to this when we get to the tail end, that um, because Mel Brooks has stopped making films, um, you know, there's been this huge resurgence of sci-fi in the last 10, 15 years. You know, we've had uh, more Star Wars movies, more Star Trek. We had all new Take a Planet of the Apes, Avatar being a big thing. We got Dune coming up. You know, we've had a lot of movies go back to space. And we've had a lot of these, we've had a lot of movies just based on space itself, like Interstellar, um, you know, so Gravity, um, you know, we had The Martian. So there's been like a huge retake and relove of sci-fi and, you know, even more alien films. So I always felt like if he was ever to do to actually do Spaceballs, the search for more money, uh, the, the aptly titled sequel, there's so much material he could do. But of course, it'd be a little difficult because if you're going to do a sequel, you know, you want some of that original cast back. And, you know, Rick Moranis, although he's kind of kind of deciding to come back into acting, you know, without John Candy and a couple of these actors, I don't know if it would have the same appeal because John Candy definitely is one of the highlights of the film. But uh, one of my all-time faves, and I do agree, no matter how many times I watch it, it still makes me laugh every time. Well, after that, he would have 1991's Life Stinks. This is the last film of his that I haven't seen. Um, it's come out in 1991, and stars him, Leslie Ann Warren, Jeffrey Tambor, Stuart Pinkin, and Howard Morris. It's one of the few Melbourne comedies that it's actually not a parody. 
Um, it doesn't break the fourth wall. So I think it's one of our uh, original films, but it didn't do it as well. It was a critical and box office flop. So, you know, Taylor, let's not even bother talking about it because I think we want to talk about the next one, which I think this is one that we actually, we were alive for, you know, we were actually existent when this film, you know, we have two films that uh, came out during our time. Uh, ones I think were both near and dear to our hearts um, and Robin Hood Men in Tights, one of the all great comedy films, of course, taking a parody at Robin Hood films and the Robin Hood legend, especially a parody of the Kevin Costner film. This one starring the great Carrie Elwes as Robin Hood and of course the brilliant joke of, unlike other Robin Hoods, I can do it with a British accent. Because um, of course, Kevin Costner, as great an actor as he is in his own film, Robin Hood, didn't quite do a really good uh, British accent. But um, what are your memories of this film? I mean, I think some of this is some of the best comedy and some great actors in this. I think, you know, one of the great things is this is, you know, again, you're you're casting a lot of, um, you know, some having some people, you know, during that time of the 90s, you got, I just remember Dave Chappelle an earlier uh an early role for him too yeah much earlier role you had a young you had a young Achoo. Dave Chappelle uh <laughs> which is uh which is just great and then I just remember Mark Blankfield as uh Blinken and which yeah. is <laughs> which is a great parody because he's this blind uh, character and I just like he's like did you say a Blinken no, I said hey Blinken and so again a lot of these just misinterpretations and some of just there's a lot of great physical comedy in this and uh, Carrie Eloise, though, I think for me during the 90s, uh, I don't know if you remember that when he did the live action Jungle Book adaptation. Yes. And he so was the was villain. Like a, yeah, he was the villain. Yeah. And so I remember seeing that. And then, of course, uh, Princess Bride, you know, you're, you know, around the same time. So this is kind of really when he was really hitting his stride uh, during the late 80s when he would really kind of come onto the scene. But I just remember this is definitely stands out one of my favorite uh, portrayals. Uh, I guess Robin Hood and just I just I think that became more synonymous Robin Hood with this role being a parody which I think that's kind of funny but he just is so suave and great and I remember another big thing of this film that let me laugh was the whole uh, the chastity belt and and all that kind of stuff like that and just some of the, and then like talking about the a lot of kind of a callbacks to some of Mel Brooks earlier stuff. Would, uh, or no, the prince would have a mole that would continue to like, move around his face, just kind of like uh, uh, Igor or Igor, where this hump would move. So stuff like that, like I just, it's very, which is very smart comedy that wasn't really picking on anyone. And I think this is something that comedy, you know, being in the 90s, not a lot of comedy films would do that. They would take a lot more cheap shots and maybe a little bit more vulgar, where this still kind of blurred that line. And I think it's, you know, for being one of his last big parody films, uh, it definitely like it w w had a lot of great, great moments. Uh, and also just kind of the swashbuckling uh, of films of the Errol Flynn era and uh, just just really, you know, great stuff. And there's so many, so many great uh, actors in this film that you it's know, a big you cast. Yes. Big cast. Um, yeah, I got to give a shout out to you know Richard Lewis, who um, I know a lot from Kirby Enthusiasm, you know, playing himself. Uh, as Prince John here, and he had this very just uh, the way he talks in the film. You know, I, I had a you know I had a good morning, I had a great BM. I don't want to hear any bad news. And then Roger Rees as the sheriff of Rottingham instead of Nottingham, and Roger Rees, who's been a brilliant you know brilliant actor in so many things, and 
him having this bit where he keeps talking in the wrong order. So he would say things and then he kind of realized and be like, oh, um, da, 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 was such a funny bit. And there's that great scene where he's like, you know, I have some really bad news. And he's like, well, if you say it to me in a good way, it won't, you know, sound so bad. Okay. <laughs> Robin Hood's back. <laughs> he's going to come kick your butt. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's terrible news. And he's like, oh, sorry. And one of my favorite moments of the whole movie is when Robin Hood shows up at the big feast. and He's there to try to save Maid Marian. And he's like, um, you know, I challenge you to a duel. And the sheriff slaps him with a glove. And then Robin Hood picks up a gauntlet and he goes, I accept. And he just smashes him in the face. And then you have people like Tracy Ullman here as Latrine, um, who, you know, in the uh, Kevin Costner film, you have, you know, the late great Alan Rickman playing the sheriff of Nottingham. And there was that kind of character that was kind of witch-like. And so having the great comedic Tracy Ullman here is this, this revolting character that constantly is trying to get the sheriff, you know, in bed. Um, is very filthy and just nasty. We have Dom DeLuise back as a cameo role as Don Giovanni, an obvious parody of The Godfather, and <laughs> doing Don Juan, but as The Godfather. Yeah. He's like, I can't understand what you're saying. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's the cotton balls. <laughs> and he takes them out, and he's still talking, uh, which of course was a funny bit because that was something that they uh, claimed um, was actually done to The Godfather. It's just a big, it's a big cast. I love. Uh, Eric Allen Kramer is Little John, this huge man who's very muscly, and they do the whole bit. It's actually a huge part of the legend of them battling to get across the river, and then he falls in the river, but the river is all of a foot deep, maybe. He's like, oh, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And Dave Chappelle's just like, yeah, just get up, man. <laughs> like, It's just like some brilliant humor, and I love also one of the bits, they, they've done this in the past, but this is something that would become a staple for him, is having the bit where like, the camera zooms in and zooms in and zooms in. And then all of a sudden it crashes into like glass and you actually see like a cameraman and like little bits like that where they get to really play up this. And then also some great songs in this. Um, obviously the song itself, Men in Tights. We're men, we're men in tights, tight tights. I always thought this would be a, a fun musical if they ever got to it. The only other musical that, um, you know, we didn't actually talk about a little earlier was Young Frankenstein. He got to come out with, on Broadway. And it was rumors for a while that he was going to try to adapt Blazing Saddles into a musical, but that never came to fruition, at least not yet. There's still time. Still time. But Robin Hood, it's it's a fun one. It has some great music in it, a lot of great gags, and just a fantastic cast. And then his last film that he wrote and directed was Dracula, Dead and Loving It. Came out in 1995, which is surprising just because that means now it's been... 26 years that he hasn't, you know, done a movie. But Dracula done loving it. I've only seen it maybe two times, I want to say, two or three times. This is obviously, you know, he had done the Frankenstein. So now this is a spoof of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, especially this is playing fun at not only the original Universal one, but definitely a parody of the Francis Ford Coppola uh, Dracula movie as well. And this starring the one and only Leslie Nielsen as Count Dracula, I thought was a brilliant choice. You know, up through the 80s and the 90s, you know, he had been doing uh, a lot of great comedy films. Um, 
And I think he was a perfect cast for this because not only is he really funny and witty, but like he didn't, you know, ham up the Transylvania accent. He just talked as he normally did. Peter McNichol, who we love in Ghostbusters 2. And (laughs) the child. Hamming it up as as Renfield here, who is the character that they did. They did the version where, you know, Renfield goes to the castle and then he gets a little crazy and he starts to eat the bugs. Um, Stephen Weber, Jonathan Harker, Amy Asbeck back from Robin Hood as Mina, uh, Harvey Corman as Dr. Seward. So again, getting Corman back for another film. And then Mel Brooks himself is playing Van Helsing. This is the last one that he did, and it didn't do very well in terms of box office. I still think it has a lot of great humorous moments in it. There's some real fun scenes, and like one that I always remember because of how... <laughs> How over-the-top gory some of the um, Francis Ford Coppola movie is. There's scenes where, like, you know, they have to go and kill the vampire. Like, the, the you know, the one friend becomes a vampire. And so, John Harker, Stephen Weber, he goes to, like, you know, it's like, you have to drive a stake through the heart. And he does it. And it's just the biggest, every time he does it, this huge wave of blood explodes. Like, it's so purposely over-the-top. And then, of course, like, little bits were, like, Dracula wakes up from his coffin and they, you know, parodying the Bella Lugosi where he, he floats up, but as he does, he hits his head on the ceiling, you know, like stuff like that. I thought there was some great comedy moments in it, but it's not one that I have a huge memory of. And it was the last one that he did. I wonder because of it didn't, it didn't do as well by critics and it kind of flopped. If that was a, maybe he kind of felt that maybe his style was coming to an end, sadly. You know, end of an era, unfortunately, but I mean, the good, the great thing was, you know, Mel Brooks is still, you know, maybe not directed, but he's continued to, you know, lend his voice and likeness and um, other credits to the film industry. But it is a shame that kind of like it didn't go out on top. And I think maybe it was just it could have been an Nevera. And I think as times change, we've seen um, the desire uh, and appreciation of film has either, you know, increase of certain things and diminished. And that's kind of a, an important thing, an unfortunate thing. He definitely, yeah, he still has been acting. He's done a lot of voice work. And then, you know, one I got to bring up just because I thought it was it was uh, a great season. You know, a big fan, as I mentioned with Richard Lewis of Kirby Enthusiasm. And season four of Curb was a parody of the producers within the season is Mel Brooks with his wife at the time actually gets the idea that we need to hire a terrible actor so that the producers will stop he's like the producers has become such a big hit on broadway he's like i just want it to end i want it to be over so he sees larry david sing karaoke at a karaoke bar and he gets the idea oh i can hire him as max bialystok he'll be so bad that the show will finally end and so the whole season is him you know larry david taking on the role of max bialystok and just all the hijinks. And originally it's Ben Stiller as Leo. Then an incident happens. Then Damon Schwiber comes on as Leo. And then finally in the actual, you know, Broadway debut night, of course, just like the producers, you see the whole scene of Mel and Anne are like, it's terrible. They're going to hate it. And they're at the bar very much like Max and Leo. And then of course, everyone's coming in like, he's so funny because Larry, he starts to, forget his lines and just starts doing like stand up for like 10 minutes. And then he also remembers his lines and people love him. And of course, then it becomes a huge hit. So I love that they did kind of a parody of the actual plot 
over that season, but he's still done a couple, you know, like I said, voice acting roles. I mean, his voice is so iconic and he is due to come out. There's this movie supposed to come out. It might come out this year. Still um, blazing samurai, which just from the title alone, I was like, is this meant to be, I think it's supposed to be a little bit of a playoff of blazing saddles. Um, not sure when it's supposed to come out. It's got a big cast in it, but um, that'll be a full animated movie of a scrappy dog who wants to become a samurai. And um, he ends up li- becoming a, a land entirely inhabited by cats. So uh, Mel Brooks is due to play the role of Shogun. But uh, I wonder if because of just COVID and everything, that might have been you know postponed. But, you know, when it comes to it, I... I, it's surprising that Mel hasn't taken another crack at a film just because it's been 26 years and I feel there's so many other genres he could have discussed or, you know, and just hasn't gotten to that yet. But, you know, the man is brilliant as what he is. We have this legendary movies to look back on and I'll always enjoy uh, what he did. And that's, he made us laugh, you know, and he's still, he's still doing things now. He's 95 and, you know, who knows what else we'll get from him in his final years but uh definitely a legendary icon and one i can always look back on and say that he made me laugh a lot i i, I completely agree and i think uh definitely an inspiration for us and probably our comedy styles and i think what we uh would come to enjoy in film but you're right who knows i mean there's more maybe stage productions or hey even maybe taking a crack at tv series uh, especially with streaming as it is who knows but mel brooks you are brilliant, brilliant mind of comedy, and God bless the films that you've done because that's why we're here today. So whew, who knows what's going to be next for an iconic legend. Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, the Potential Podcast at Yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.